Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So we're going to pray and then we're going to look at Acts Acts 12. Great, great story. Father, we thank you that you're here. We thank you for your multiple blessings. We've already said and been reminded through all those who have shared with us today already how good you are. And we know that's true. You're good to us and you're good to those in all sorts of situations and places. This is a huge world that we live in and we're grateful in the, in the very precious name of Jesus. Amen. So this is a wonderful story. I love this part of the book of Acts. Um, in fact, there's lots of prison stories in the book, Tim. Uh, if you've read it, and this, this is a wonderful, wonderful story of a church that was quite fearful, a church that was praying, a church that was in the process probably of getting what prayer was about. It's a bit of a wake-up call, literally, of judgment. There's a whole lot in this story about the sovereignty of God and God at work, and above all, it's about God himself. Whenever you read narratives in the Bible, New and Old Testament, always look for where God's in it because inevitably you will find that it's about God at the end of the day. Yes, there are human people involved, obviously, because God uses them and they're all for his glory. But in the, in the midst of that, there's God. You'll find God in it. You'll always look for the story of God. And I love this story because it's a, it's a very suspenseful thing. It's a, full of drama There's conflict between God and Satan, there's fear, there's the miraculous, there's angels and there's supernatural events. Are you all up for that in 25 minutes? Just keep an eye on that clock there. So Herod Agrippa uh, I was seeking to win favour with the Jewish population. Uh, He was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was the man who who ordered the execution of all the male children of up to two years old in Bethlehem. So uh, he was a nephew of Herod Antipas who who had John the Baptist beheaded. If you were introduced to the Herods, you didn't really want to be. They weren't very nice people at all, so things weren't good with them. Now, Christianity had spread and had separated from the Jewish faith. We've talked about that over and over. And Herod set out to show the Jewish religious leaders that he was a royal, a loyal Jew and he was holding faith with the Jewish tradition and joining them in getting rid of this new sect called Christians. You realise, of course, that when we started, we were, we were a sect. We weren't orthodox. And only as Christianity broke away from Judaism did we, we establish our own identity. And over time that uh, we got to be known as Christians. So this Herod, going back to him, had James, the brother of John. You remember in the Bible, if you've read the Bible, the New Testament talks about the sons of Zebedee. Anybody remember the sons of Zebedee? Yep. Sons of thunder. Well, he had that James executed by the sword. His next step in his tyranny against the church was to arrest Peter, the apostle, and that was during Passover week. So he had Peter arrested 
But nothing was going to happen to Peter during that time because it wouldn't have been proper to put anybody to death during Passover. But you will have noticed that the text said, what was it, four squads of four soldiers? Peter was taking, uh, Herod was taking no chance with Peter. He had him put in prison and he had him well and truly guarded. And once Passover was complete, Peter's fate was no, doubt, was no doubt going to be the same as James. He was going to put him to death. What a situation. What a try to place yourself in the boots of some of the shoes and the boots of the leading characters we read in the stories in the scripture. I don't know about you guys, but from time to time, I try to imagine myself in that text. So it's part of how we understand the Bible. Otherwise, we, we just get the word thing. I often, often feel, this is just a, a wee bit of an aside, but often I think about what's, what, what would have I been like? Where would have I been when Jesus was there and the, the 12 were around him? Would have, been, would have I been pressing into where he was or kind of on the outside? Where would have you been? And sometimes when you... When you you imagine yourself in the place. Imagination, by the way, is God's gift. The, the enemies tried to destroy it in our lives, but imagination is a hugely important thing. And so good kids have got it, haven't they? When we get old, we kind of put it to one side. Just don't imagine things anymore. But imagine yourself, well, James is dead. Now just think about what's going to happen to you. You're, you're fervently following Jesus now. You're, you're a Jesus person. And James is a Jesus person. What's, what happens to James? He's put to death for his faith. Now, that he's a leader in the church, no doubt, but now he doesn't have his faith. He's, he's put to death with his faith intact, of course. That still happens today. In the 20th century, there were more people persecuted and killed for their faith than in the previous centuries of the history of the Christian church. It's a staggering thing to think about. People lose their lives for their faith. Still happens today. And Peter, what about him? Think about him. This is his third time in prison, Tim. He was a regular Kairos Ministries fellow. And he looks like he's in a really tight situation this time because previously he gets out and he's fearless in preaching the gospel. But this time he's under heavy card. Herod's taking no chances. Four by four, 16 soldiers guarding him, sentries posted. He's not going to get out of this place at all. And then in this story, there's the rest of the believers gathered away in a house that belonged to Mary. And that house has got locked gates and they're fervently praying for the situation and for Peter. And you might be imagining, you might suspect they're wondering about themselves just a little bit as well. I can't help but think that if you're in a place where there's intense persecution, you would be thinking about your life, yeah? You'd be thinking about what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen when they come gunning for me? And I remember back in the, back in the day when communism, so-called, was a really huge threat against the Christian church in certain places. Now, people sitting in the West would say, I don't know how I could cope with what's happening. You know, we'd read stories of men and women who had gone through intense persecution. The reality is you only have to worry about the moment. You remember the story of Corrie ten Boom, who, who was that famous Dutch lady who was imprisoned by the 
Nazi regime in work during World War II. And Howell's a little girl, she used to be worried about death. You remember the story that out of the hiding place and she had this father called Papa Tem Boom. And she, a little girl, were getting onto a tram one day and she was asking her dad about what happens when I die. She was worried about it. And her father said to her, you know, Corrie, when I get on the tram or the train or whatever it was, when do I give you the ticket? And her father said to her, I only give you that ticket. She said, when, when I get on the tram. She said, you only need, he said, you only need the ticket when you get on the train. Sometimes we worry ourselves endlessly about things that will never, ever happen. Sometimes we get ourselves embroiled in life like that and the enemy loves to multiply that. Yet on the same, having said all that, I can't help but think to myself, they were wondering. And then, of course, there's Rhoda in the story. What a gem of a girl she is, this servant girl called Rhoda. And I have to be a little bit naughty here, but every time I read about Rhoda in the scripture, I think of that ad on T. Help me, Rhonda, help me, Rhonda. <laughs> and I've got to realise it's spelt Rhoda, not Rhonda. Help me. And she turns out to be an absolute marvellous person. So... We've got, we've got James who's put to death. We've got Peter. We've got the church praying. Here's a question that Arjith Fanada, a commentator on the New Testament, kind of posed. I've reframed it a bit, but here's the question. Peter is alive. James is dead. Why? What's God allowing there? Have you ever pondered in your own walk with Jesus and in your faith and in your growing, why do some things seem to happen to some people and not to others? Why do some people seem to go through so tough times and other people seem to skate through life? And how do you make sense of all of that? How do you reconcile those two positions? Uh, why, would he, why would he, God, not let uh, want James around for a bit longer? Surely as the, as the early church is growing, why... why James, why take him out of the scene? Why is there no miraculous rescue for James? And why did Peter survive this Herodian persecution and not James? I don't know the answers to that. So if you're looking for me to try to answer that, I've just raised the question. And I do know this, it's easy to be glib, except for James and Peter, uh, and for that matter, I have no idea what it must have felt like to suffer for the faith in the way these men did. James pays the ultimate price for his belief. Peter at this point didn't. And yet, on the other hand, we've got Peter in prison and his release. He's set free. And he has a story to tell for many, many, many years until he meets his end and he's released here. What a release! Chained between two soldiers, Peter's fast asleep. That's an interesting thing. Fast asleep when you're imprisoned. And incidentally, the church is praying and Peter's sleeping, which might tell you something about Peter and his faith in Jesus. I don't find it very easy to doze off in sleep when I'm worried about something. How about you? He's in prison, potentially to lose his life. Is it possible that Peter knew that it was not his time yet? 
In John's Gospel, Jesus says to Peter, there will come a time in your life when others will lead you away and and you'll lose your life in a way that I'm telling you about. But don't worry about it, just get on with it. How do you you sense that, that Jesus had spoken to him about life and how life would be for him? That's a really important point. Sometimes we worry about our own situations so much that it gets out of control. But actually, as one of you said, I think, I don't know um, whether it was, I don't know, one of you said this morning, God is in control. Who said God's in control? Caleb, I think it was you. God is in control. He's in control. And our lives are in control if we let him have control of them. So here's Peter imprisoned. And if we go to Acts chapter 12, verse 6, what's it say? It tells us that God intervened and set him free. It is absolutely fantastic. I love the story. An angel comes. An angel wakes Peter up in the middle of the night and the rest of the story is just absolutely priceless. That night, before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel... Suddenly, suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Isn't that absolutely amazing? No electric light. An angel, did you just hear what was said in that text? Don't put up your hand because I don't want you to, but... Some of you have, may have seen an angel. Some of you have, may have had an angel visitant. I can tell you this much, there are angels watching over your life. Every single one of you. Every single one of you watching over your life and your children's lives. Watching over the dwelling where you live. Watching all over you. Why? Because the Bible tells us that God sends his angels to be ministering servants of those who believe in the Father's love for his creation through Jesus. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? But there are angels watching over this church. There are angels over all the other campuses. There are angels over all of God's people. We may not see them. Some of you may have. I had a lady in one church who recounted to me the story of she being in her bed, in her bedroom, and an angel visiting over a particular situation. See, they are those who minister to us, but we, we don't see them. But I want to tell you now, there are literally thousands of angels. You thought you were just worshipping this morning. No, the, the old Anglican uh, 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 liturgy talks about with all the company of heaven worshipping God. That's an amazing thing. And one day, my sisters and brothers, you will see what God's been doing. Because right now, the veil is actually very, very thin between what we see and what is to be forever to be seen. And if you tuck that away in your heart and you get it, it's such an encouragement to keep pressing on because This is not the end of the world. This is not the end of life. This is not the end. 
There is much, much better in front of us and for each one of us and for all of God's people. So it's fantastic. An angel intervenes. He has to wake Peter up and light comes on and we're going to read more of this miraculous things. Peter thought he was dreaming. Well, why wouldn't you wake up and say, was that, oh, man, isn't that a dreadful experience? You wake up and say, did I dream that or was that real? Especially when I just dreamt I won a million dollars. Yeah? So the chains fall off of Peter and they're not nice little old things like you buy down at Bunnings or Mitre 10, you know, all in galvanised iron or painted green or something. They're horrible old clunky chains and they're all around his arms and his legs. You know the kind of scene. If you've ever visited Port Arthur in Tasmania, you would, you'd get a bit of an idea of how they treated people, shockingly, really. Uh, but these, these things just fall off of his wrists. So Peter has, well, I'm dreaming. He had no idea what was going on. He's told to get up and he thinks he's seeing a vision and they pass through all the centuries, the gates swing open. No, uh, I love that gate swinging open by itself. I bet all the prisoners in Mobilong would love the gate opening by itself too. Actually, back in the day, this is another terrible aside, but back in the day I used to take cricket teams into Mobilong to play play cricket against the prisoners, which was great. Used to have lots of fun. And one day the captain of the side was going bunter, our captain was going bunter with the bat. He was hitting the ball out, all out the park, a bit like uh, Ben Stokes, if you follow cricket. Anyway, one of the prisoners is sitting up <laughs> by us and he says, hey, if he keeps on hitting that ball out over there, we'll have to go and fetch it, won't we? <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, you got to laugh. Here's these gates. No electronic eye there, folks. This is a prison. It's not a house. And Peter's reaction, I love it, in verse 11 and 12, it says in the text, when it dawned on him, <laughs> when he woke up, it's like, oh, this is real. I'm out in the street now. An amazing story. Now, back in Mary's house, everybody's praying and, I'm, I'm, I, and no doubt they're pretty concerned about Peter because the Bible says that many people, many people had gathered and they were praying. You can, you can guarantee they weren't praying about the church's finance or how to paint the new, the new roof. They're praying for Peter because Peter's such a central figure to the story, yes? He's a leader. There's no question he's a leader. And how do you destroy an organisation? If you, if you cut off the head of the leader, then, then the whole thing falls over. So they, they know how crucial it is for Peter to be free. So he comes to the house and he knocks on the door. <laughs> but no one's letting him in. There's such, such a, you know, as Arjus uh, Fernando points out, there's such irony, isn't there? They're inside, pray, 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 pray. Come on, Lord Jesus, release Peter. I'm, by the way, how do you think they were praying? I don't know. I have a suspicion. I have a suspicion that when it says they're praying, the whole lot of them were praying together at the same time. Yeah? How many of you have been in that situation? Yep. It's incredible. I had a, a Nepalese congregation in one of my churches. Uh, we had three congregations, and they were one of the congregations. And occasionally we'd all get together. 
And when I'd ask people to pray or ask them to pray, all of the Nepalese community got up and prayed together. And all us white Anglos were looking, oh, what's happening here? Everybody was just fervently in prayer. And they, were, they just, well, forget about the rest of the service, they were just praying, yeah? I have a suspicion it might have been a bit like that, although I have no contextual evidence for it. But they were praying, although in other parts of Acts it says they all prayed aloud and together. So once that pillar reserved for peels away from our, 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 the way we go about things, it's amazing where God will take his people. So these people are praying and Peter's knocking at the door. Then Rhoda comes. She does her best. She goes to the door, sees Peter. She gets so excited, slams the door in his face and runs back inside. How about that? Isn't that funny? Help me, Ron. Help me, Rhoda. She's so full of happiness. She's so full of happiness. When you get to pray... Isn't there something faith-building about that? Isn't something faith-building about your prayers? Fernando and Morgan and other commentators say that the word here used for prayer is, is it's about vigilant, earnest. Literally, it means to stretch out your hands in prayer, even in agony. When I was pastoring at Mount Gambia, the the ministers used to get together to pray every week for a revival in the city and we saw revival in the city. And I was with a bunch of pastors and some of them would be stretched out on the floor and they'd be crying and weeping for their city, weeping to see God move in agony of prayer. Something like that was happening here. But here's the thing, when the answer to their prayers literally stood at the door, it's so, they say, it's not possible. It's not possible. You're out of your mind. You must be seeing his ghost. <coughs> to be honest, poor old Rhoda, she didn't stand a ghost of a chance. They didn't see what was happening. And eventually she gets through to them. She keeps insisting it's such a good lesson that and the Bible tells us they were astonished. And it tells us what Peter does. He comes and talks with them and, he, and all the rest of it. And he goes off to another place and God uses him. So next morning, here's the next part of the story. You get Herod and you get how furious Herod is. The practice, of course, was if a prisoner escaped, you copped it. It was your fault if he got away. Well, she got away, but mostly it would have been he, of course. So Herod got rid of a lot of his guards. Pretty tough job, that one, being a, a watcher of, of prisoners. Not the only place in the Bible that tells us this sort of thing happened. Herod set himself up in a big way. People hailed him as a god. But God struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. And whatever that means, and there are theories, it pretty much means what it says. But here's the lesson. If you oppose God... Watch out. So I heard this guy you know, at a conference in Melbourne once many, a few years ago talking about the judgment of God. And he put it this way. He said, God's judgment will come. It's like a slow freight train, but it's coming. And I look at the way in which God holds his hands out in mercy and understand that God is much more merciful than we think. But there will come a day when God brings everything 
under his judgment. And he should. Because if he's not, he's not God if he doesn't do that. And he's not showing his mercy and love. There comes a day. Herod's day came pretty quickly. He is so opposed to the work of God and so wanting to beat curry with those whom he, or to curry favour with those whom he thinks will give him political advantage, that he has Peter put to death. But Peter, his enemy, survives and he lives to tell the gospel over and over and is used by Jesus until the end of his life. That is big. Hear this, Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Hear that, folks. God will not share his glory with another. He will not. So that's the first sort of takeaway. Herod doesn't survive. The second thing to take away with us today perhaps is what do we really think about prayer? And this is a little, little bit tricky for me, and I think I've, I've said it to you before. One of, the, one of the problems I have when I preach and talk and teach about prayer is I don't want to get into guilt street. So often prayer seems to me to say, we're not praying like we should and we need to pray harder or, or where were all the people they weren't at the prayer meeting? And that's, that, by the way, is generally in 21st century living, just a logistics thing. Because often people want to, but there are so many pressures in life. The issue is about just praying, yeah? And what does prayer mean to, to you? Well, it's conversation between, between ourselves and God, yes? That's all prayer is. It's talking to God. We know that. But here's the thing. Do we really expect that God will answer our prayers? And what if he answered them in such a spectacular fashion? What then? Can we come to God like they did there in that early church and really expect him to show up? Well, God's always showing up, isn't he? He's here already. But that's an incredibly powerful thing that happened in that story. And can we expect the answers to our prayers will manifest in the miraculous and the supernatural being seen? Now, here is something for us. Is it supernatural or is it just natural? Where do you fall on that? Do you think there are things outside the reality of what we say is normal or is God bigger than that? Here's where I fall on it. It's all natural, as Jeff Bingham used to say. The so-called supernatural is natural. Mightn't be for us, but for God it is. There's nothing beyond the realm where he can't intervene. Or are we just like those early Christians were gathering to pray at Mary's house are we just as just stunned when God really does something? I want to say to you, answers to prayers are faith builders. And the more you pray, the more answers you see. The more you just get to it, the more you the more the kind of walk with Jesus all the time, talk with him. It doesn't have to be any holier than thou kind of prayers. It doesn't have to be any, you know what I'm saying? Some of you. All of you know what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be special. It doesn't have to. We can even use the wrong language. Sometimes we don't even have to talk. Wouldn't that be something for some preachers like me to hear? We don't have to do anything. We just need to pray. And God answers. So the more you pray, the more you see him at work. And we should, hear this, beloved, we should expect God 
to answer our prayers and for his manifest power to be seen. So say this, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. That wasn't very loud. Expect the unexpected. Because you will be confronted with the unexpected. And then, of course, this is about God, isn't it? He's sovereign. I didn't try to sort out James and Peter for you because I don't know, but I do know this. God was in charge of both their lives. And it's so easy to turn to this passage to ourselves and our response and the need to pray. True. And it is true to say that the church prayed and God answered and so should we. It is true to say that angels are involved in our lives and I I thank Fernando for reminding me of that as I was looking at it. Yes, yes, angels. I shouldn't forget about angels because I do forget. I do forget how much God loves me and cares for me and my family, for my wife and my children and my grandchildren. I do forget how he cares for his world. I do look at the world and and say these impossible situations and yet I will hear stories and I will read stories and I know that right even now as I talk, there will be an angel somewhere intervening in some situation where God wants to show his sovereign power. So let me finish with this. God is a God of miracles. Not for him, nothing is impossible with God. With God, for God or to God. But for us, that's a different thing. And we're brought up in this rationalistic, scientific, logical, needing proof world, theory upon theory about how things were and are and where it's all headed. But ultimately, God is sovereign. And to God, it is all nothing. All things will be brought to his judgments in good time. Meantime, I want you to hear this, people. Meantime, we need his miracles. We need to hear stories of God all over us and through us. And we need for God to get the glory. And the word tells us that after all this happened, the word of God continued to increase and spread. Let me say, Amen. Would you stand together? Father, Thank you that you love us with such power. You know us through and through, and we are grateful. And as we stand in this place, we, we just stand in this place with you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come and settle over us as we worship you in this way as we know your blessing, as we know your encouragement, as we know release, as we know joy. So just as Beck comes and Lee as well and the team, just think through as you're standing there, what what are we praying about and over as a church? And personally, what are you praying about and over? After we've sung, I'll come and just pray. 
Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.